0: It's time for JT the Brick. How we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? I'm not a journalist. I'm an opinionated sports talk host. We have a goal. We have ideas. We know exactly what we want to do here. Just win, baby. The Raiders' schedule is brutal. It's a second-place schedule that's front-loaded heavy and back-loaded heavy. The fans of the Raider Nation, sound off like you got a pair. JT the Brick. I'm talking about the notorious ones, the out-of-control fans, the passionate fans. All of you fans are invited to be a part of the show. I'd like you to come in big and come in with a purpose, and that's it. Use the phone like a weapon. Enjoy everything we do, and please always feel welcome to call in and to tweet and to be a part of the show. Fair enough? And now, here's JT the Brick. JT, thanks for coming back here. Hour number two, our final hour of the week here on the flagship of the Raiders. Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM, and thanks to everybody who's streaming the mobile app. We saw the numbers. We've been seeing what's happening at LV Sports Network. And again, you know, your team hasn't won. More people are actually listening. It's bizarre what's happening right now. Raiders need a win. Uh, Come see me at the torch. We'll be there Sunday, 1115, right there at the Al Davis Memorial Torch there. Second floor. So wherever you get into the stadium, Allegiant Stadium, just get to the second level and walk around and come to the torch, have a Modelo, have a Coors Light. If you're at the Coors Light landing, whenever you want to drink, whatever you want to have, and Eric Allen and I would love to see you there. We have Fred Belitnikoff and Tim Brown confirmed. So that'll be cool. You'll see two Hall of Famers as you're having a beverage and tailgating. If you're tailgating outside, enjoy it. The weather is absolutely incredible. So incredible first hour here, thanks to Bobby producing the show. I, w- I said I was going to do this. I want to get into what happened with Tua last night which was really troubling, okay? And, you know, I do the national show on SiriusXM. I wasn't on last night, but I watched the game. And first off, watching the game is unique because you have to have Amazon Prime. And a lot of people were made aware of this a long time ago, but a lot of people don't have Amazon Prime. So a lot of people miss what is probably the most controversial topic so far that we have this year in the NFL. And I was talking to two of my friends this morning over a coffee, and This is a really weird year. Take ourselves out of Vegas for a second and the Raiders looking for their first win. There's more parity than I can remember. Brady's not really playing well in Tampa. The reigning champs, the Rams, aren't very good. They're winning, but they're not very good. Green Bay doesn't have Devontae. I don't care how good they look. They're running the ball well, whatever. They don't have their best player than Aaron Rodgers, so they're a little bit different. Philadelphia is undefeated. They don't look great, and then Miami which was one of the more talked-about teams in the league last night, had the Tua injury, and that really broke the Internet last night. So I'm watching the game, and I'm, I'm seeing what's happening in the game, and knowing what happened on Sunday when Tua got concussed, in my opinion, and I'm not a doctor, but when he got thrown to the ground against Buffalo and came up, he stood up, and he fell to his knee. It wasn't because of his back. He was concussed. It was clear to everybody that. Everyone who watches football that he wasn't right. Then he was cleared and he went through protocol. And that's where it gets really interesting because the NFL players have a union, the NFLPA, and they want to protect the players. And they also want equal money and they want to get as much money as they can. So look at these ungodly contracts. Look at what players are making today compared to players a generation before them, And some of these players are nowhere near as good as the players before them. But why are they getting paid? This much more? Why are they getting paid 200 times more? Why? Because there's more television money. Because Amazon Prime last night and Jeff Bezos spent all that money for primetime football. So some of the players don't deserve this money. They're not that good. And they're getting that money because of the television contracts going through the roofs. The owners are making more money. So the union logically says, as they're collectively bargaining, you know, we want pretty much half the revenue. Or close to it. You don't have you don't have us playing. You don't have a league. And there's some truth to that. But I've usually sided with the owners because they own the team. They are the owners. They deserve an advantage over the players because they own the team. It's their risk. They some pour the concrete. They pay for the staffs. They pay for the buildings, the facility, the food, the travel, all of that stuff. But last night, I felt really uncomfortable watching Tua when he got sacked in Cincinnati and thrown to the ground like a rag doll. Here's the play-by-play from Al Michaels on Thursday Night Football on Prime. To a rolling left with the grain, and down he goes. Slung down on his own 48-yard line. Josh Tupu, and uh uh-oh. So right at the end there, Al knew that there was something up. Al knew that there was something up. And when Tua went down to the ground, he had a head spasm and his fingers locked up. And he's on the ground and his fingers are contorted. And that was really uncomfortable at the time. Very uncomfortable to see that. And you knew he was in bad shape. Then the stretcher came out and then the players came out and all took a knee. And you could tell that this was really serious. Now, the good news is Tua, after going to the hospital, was checked out and released. His parents were there which is important. I don't care if you're playing middle school, high school, college, it's nice to know pros, your parents are there. They went with them to the hospital and he was cleared to travel back with the team. But the debate becomes the debate becomes it's an issue because the league, the union wants to know if the coaches and the doctors are protecting the players. And I don't think that was the case from Sunday to Thursday. So really where the debate is today is after seeing what we saw with our own eyes, a week ago Sunday when Tua got hurt against Buffalo, how could he turn around and get cleared to play on Thursday? Well, there's an independent neurologist. There's a team doctor. The independent neurologist has to clear him to play. And if he's cleared to play, he's cleared to play. That's all you need to know. That's really the crux of all of this. If the doctors clear him. Now, back in the day, the team doctor would clear anybody. Right? The owner would say, hey, if he can go, he can go. The player, give me some smelling salt. I want to play. I want to get out there and go. I can understand that. And that's still happening now. But there's an independent neurologist who says, no, I'm independent from the team. This is mandatory with every team. They have these gentlemen on the sidelines. I was just in Nashville. I know some of these guys. I know the team doctors and the independent guys who come out there. They're there just in case. The team wants the player to play and the player wants to play. And I think there's going to be a big change with those doctors. I don't know this to be accurate, but I think it's coming that those doctors, the independent ones that were assigned to Miami are going to get changed out because the Wolves are at the door and the heat is there. Now, Mike McDaniels, the head coach, he's in a tough spot because he loves his players. He wants to protect his players. Here's Mike McDaniels. Last night about the scenario that unfolded You could tell he was emotional He's not Mike Tomlin behind the microphone He's not that type of guy He's a guy who's just very Contrived and he's well thought out And he's a little bit unique When he talks and you could tell he was hurting last night Here's the head coach of the Dolphins
1: um, He uh, Was uh, evaluated For um, for Concussion and he's in the Concussion protocol uh, he, he was a uh, he was at the hospital, I believe. He's about to get discharged. Um, it was, uh, yeah, that that was an emotional moment. Um, that is not part of the deal that anyone signs up for. Even though you you know it's a possibility in, in football to have something that you have to get taken off on a stretcher. I, you know, all of his teammates, myself. We we're all um, very, very concerned. So the, the best news that we can get is that everything is checked out, um, that he didn't uh, have any, anything more serious than um, a, a concussion. We'll be, uh, he'll be flying back with us here on the plane.
0: So with all that being said, he spoke again today, and it feels like there's something happening. I, wouldn't, I won't go as hard to say there's a cover-up. But there could be a cover-up because the Dolphins organization is a mess right now. Their owner suspended for the year, Stephen Ross, because he was tampering to get Tom Brady. And everybody knew about that. And the executives in that team knew. Loose lips and ships, everybody knew about that. So he's suspended. Fall from grace for the owner. Now you have this coach. I feel sorry for Tua because is the guy who was injured. And he looked like he suffered a really big injury now. Don't expect Tua to come back. I don't care how he was cleared. He was cleared last night to leave the hospital. Don't tell me that he's going to be cleared to play football again anytime soon. I think Miami's got to get ready to move forward with Teddy Bridgewater here. It might be a week or two. Raider Nation, look at the concussion of Hunter Renfro as we wait for the injury report every day. Some concussions linger. Guys like Brett Favre, who's in trouble, that's a side story, thinks he has over 1,000 concussions. I thought that number was crazy. But you date back to Pop Warner, high school, college, the pros practice over the years. I don't know. I think that number's a bit out there. But I wouldn't be surprised if there were football players that had 50 to 100 concussions over their lifespan. And again, I take this really serious, everybody, because I've met these guys over the years. And it doesn't matter if it's a Raiders alumni reunion or especially when I go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'm really into that trip. I always share some stories from there. And there are people that I've known now for 20 to 25 years who I think I'm pretty tight with and I can have these conversations with. And some of them are messed up and they don't have the brain vibe that they used to have. And there's gentlemen that I talked to that I knew really well 20 years ago and they see me now. And it takes a few seconds, 10 seconds, 15 seconds to recognize me and get into a conversation and start talking again. These football players are warriors. Imagine every football player sitting at home last night watching that with their wife or their partner, the kids, and they look up and they see Tua with a hand spasm there going, oh, my God, that could have happened to me. And that's why as fans, at times, fans get really out of control, but they shouldn't on this topic. Chris Nowitzki, who's a big-time Harvard guy, when it comes to evaluating concussions, he's someone that I've gone back with for 20 years. I reached out to him last night, but he is all over media today. He is everywhere. And Chris is a really good guy. And Chris is leading this charge now to try to protect the players. He's the CEO of the Concussion Limited Foundation. He's a neurologist, an author, a speaker, a former WWE wrestler. And he's a really good businessman. And he's getting a lot of press because he was the guy that thought the Dolphins shouldn't have let Tua back into the game the following week. So he is all over this. What he said earlier today, quote, what the Dolphins did to Tua last night reminds me of how they mishandled quarterback Matt Moore in the 2017 playoffs. He was hitting the head, couldn't stand up for two minutes and missed one play. And he put that out. Also, from last night, Chris Nowitzki, if Tua takes the field tonight, it's a massive step back for concussion care in the NFL. This is ahead of the game. If he had a second concussion, that destroys his season or career. Everyone involved will be sued and should lose their jobs. Coaches included. We, we all saw it. Even they must have known this isn't right. And Chris Nowitzki is on fire all over the internet for everything he said. He also said Mike McDaniel said it's good Tua. Doesn't have anything more serious than a concussion. Quote, I don't think this guy gets it. A concussion is a traumatic brain injury. And posturing suggests brain uh, stem injury. It's pretty high on the list of serious medical consequences in football. So I've just been reading him. I reached out to him. We'll see if we can get him on here pretty quickly here. But he saw no pleasure, and he was praying for Tua last night. But here's the real tweet by Chris Nowinski that is trending all over the world. This was before the game. He tweeted, if Tua takes the field tonight, it's a massive setback. And then he went on to say that this is a disaster. Pray for Tua. Fire the medical staffs and coaches. I predicted this and hate to say that I'm right. Two concussions in five days can kill someone. This could end careers. How are we so stupid in 2022? I agree. I don't know anything about this. I'm not a doctor, but I've interviewed him on the air here. And I take this very seriously. So I don't know how you feel about it, but last night it was really uncomfortable to watch Tua in that brain hand spasm what he was going through and to see his team take a knee and be very concerned about that. Whenever a player gets carted off the field, that could be the last time that player ever plays the sport. doesn't matter what level they play at. And it's the job of the union to make sure that the league is protecting their players. And the union... And DeMora Smith and everybody involved seems very concerned today. Now, Roger Goodell was at the game last night. Amazon Prime showed him up there in the box. He was with Chris Collinsworth. And I I really wanted to watch the postgame show last night. Carissa Thompson anchored it. Richard Sherman was there. Michael Smith came there and talked about it. Andrew Wetworth talked about his concussions. Ryan Fitzpatrick was there. Tony Gonzalez was clearly moved by what happened last night. And that was an important postgame show for them because they had to cover this story. And they covered it for a long, long segment right in the postgame. And I thought they did a good job at least talking about it. And then when I got up this morning prepping for this show today, I knew that I wanted to put a chunk aside for that. Because of all the conversations that I've had with football players who are now in their 70s and 80s, and they're going through the after effects of concussion and traumatic brain injury. They are. And a lot of them are donating their brains to CTE research, and they want to do that. Very good people. George Atkinson, one of my mentors, decided to do that. I love George. He's like a father figure, like Freddie Belitnikov. You know what these guys mean to me. And it's fortunate that some of the elderly or some older football players are able to get through this stage in their life. And they weren't paid anything back in the day. If you played in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, you didn't get a lot of money. Now these guys are making millions upon millions of dollars. They have better equipment. They should have better doctors. They have the independent neurologist to get them off the field. They even, as Ryan Fitzpatrick pointed out last night, they have the spotters. I forgot about that. Fitzpatrick said he played in a game in 2019 where he didn't look right, and a spotter in the stands pointed it out, and they got him off the field and checked him out. They have those blue tents behind the bench for a reason. When a player gets hurt, the player goes to the blue tent, concussion or not, and they're supposed to be checked out. A knee injury, a calf, a groin, we know what that is. But a brain injury, a concussion, man, last night, it was in full effect. And everybody is talking about it today. So just remember that the next time you're at a football game and you're screaming or you're yelling or you're happy or you're you're bummed out about the team, remember what these players put themselves through for our entertainment. For our entertainment, they put their brain on the line. They know the risk. They could walk away from the game, and some players have walked away from the game early in their 20s because they don't want to live on the back end of their life in a fog, and that's what happens with CTE. That's what happens with these individual athletes who take all this head trauma. They get to an early stage in their life, could be their 30s, 40s, and 50s, and their brain is in pain, and they can't talk as well, and they can't see the light, and they can't sleep well at night, and they get angry. And they get upset, and they have what's called mood swings. All because they play football, and they get concussed, and they have head trauma. Last night was a really tough night for the NFL, and a lot's going to come out of it. I don't know exactly what's going to come after it, come out of it, but the league has done a lot. And the union is making a lot of money with the owners in the league, and the union now is very concerned about the protection of their players. I have no idea when Tua is going to come back and play again. But he shouldn't have been playing. I believe like Shannon Sharp and a lot of other people in the media, and I never played, that Tua, who got banged up badly last Sunday against Buffalo, should not have been playing on a quick turnaround Thursday. Did that have anything to do with the injury? No. But he got thrown to the ground like a rag doll, and his brain was concussed again, and it was serious. And I don't care if they cleared him to leave the hospital. He got a chance to fly back on the team charter. That young man needs to be protected. And Mike McDaniels is a good guy, and I think he wants to protect his players. But if his player says he's good to go, the trainer, the doctor, team doctor, and the independent neurologist say he's cleared to play, these football players are going to play. But I don't think Tua should be one of them. I think this young man should be forced to sit for a couple of weeks and clear his brain because it took tremendous damage. 702-365-9200. When we come back... A deeper dive into the stats. Remember what I've always told you? I like to look at the stats after four games. Well, we're at three. So, starting next week, we'll really dive into these stats. But there's a couple of concerning ones coming into this game with Denver. I want to tell you what Denver's doing right and wrong and what the Raiders need to do after a full week of prepping for the Broncos. We're brought to you by the Botanist Gin via Remy Martin. Team up for excellence if you're looking for a great new gin. Botanist is the way to go. Ask for it from your server, your bartender, the next time you're looking to mix it up a bit. Remy Martin, team up for excellence on a Friday, JT the Brick. This is Raider Nation Radio. JT, as we continue, we're going to play the coaches' interview from yesterday as I head down to Virgin. Uh, coming up here on that Virgin for the podcast in the lobby coming up at 4. I've got to be down there a little bit before that. And Raider Nation, let's unite, as we like to say. Hopefully you get a tailgate in. I'll be at the J-Lot at the Black Hole, which I know they're going to have a big crowd there. And if you're tailgating, come on inside, as I've been saying all show, and meet us at the Torch. So, you know, the stats, I wanted to talk about the stats and what's happened here the last couple of games here Because we're starting to see some things develop now with the Raiders that aren't that concerning to me right now other than the defensive stats. Some of the defensive stats are important because of the injuries. And again, the big thing we wait for on Sunday as the postgame starts and probably about 10 minutes into the postgame show, we end up getting the inactives. And you always hope that someone who's on an injury report today or an injury report by Sunday is going to be able to go. But man... The Raiders are in a tough spot with some injuries now. They were clean in the preseason. They went into the regular season. They came out of that first game and just absolutely banged up. And Patrick Graham and the defense is going to just have to do a better job starting in this game because Denver's been struggling with their offense. They have the third-ranked defense, the Denver Broncos, in the NFL. So Denver now, three games played, they're giving up 251 yards a game. 170 in the air, which is not a lot, and 81.3 on the ground. But they're giving up 12 points a game. Now, look, Jimmy G ran out of the back of the end zone. That ranks second in the league, by the way. Denver's at number two. Uh, The number one scoring defense in football is Tampa Bay. They're the only team in the league with under 10 points. They're at nine. Now, when you look at the Raiders in this category, the Raiders have been mediocre to back end on defense for quite some time. After three games, they're giving up 25.7 points a game. That is flat-out unacceptable, especially for a new defensive coordinator who came in with fanfare. They're giving up 376 yards a game. Now, why is that? A lot of it had to do with Kyler Murray in the first half against Tennessee. And you play Justin Herbert, it's not going to be a walk in the park. Some of the other stats that jump out at you, 267 yards in the air, 109 on the ground. So you want to get that number down, especially rushing defense. Now, as I talked about, and you'll hear it again, coming up with Josh McDaniels, they have a two headed monster in Denver and they're going to try to establish the run. So the best rushing defenses in football, Denver is ranked sixth. As I mentioned, 81.3 yards a game. And the Raiders here are giving up over 109. That's with Atlanta, you know, Philadelphia and green Bay are behind the Raiders. So there's some good teams, that give up some rushing yards, but the Raiders by now are not peaking at this point. So I don't like where the Raiders are defensively with their stats. Points per game, they're giving up almost 110 yards a game on the ground, and they're giving up 267 in the air. All of that is need for improvement. But the Raiders really make their name on offense, don't they, everybody? The offense for the Raiders, when you look at their team stats, is where we should be looking at. And the Raiders offensively aren't bad, but they're not great. And they're supposed to be great with Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr. They're averaging 21.3 points a game, which is unacceptable. They're averaging 80 yards a game rushing, which is unacceptable. Not enough attempts. And when it comes to passing yards, they're okay. At 266.7 with Derek Carr, they're averaging 246 yards a game. But I started looking at the scoring offense, and what's the problem? The problem is the red zone, and that's why Josh McDaniels and Derek Carr got some pressure on them to clean that up. Baltimore leads the NFL with 33 points a game. A lot of that has to do with Lamar Jackson and his ability to run the ball. You know who's second? Buffalo's third. I picked Buffalo to win the Super Bowl, and Kansas City's fourth. So it's Baltimore one, Buffalo three, Kansas City four. You know who's number two? Guess. Detroit. Detroit's putting up 31.7 a game on offense, 409 yards a game, 170 on the ground, 95 points scored so far this year. How about the Raiders set the bar at Detroit now? Kansas City, Buffalo, and Baltimore are damn good. Philadelphia is having a special start due to their schedule, but the Detroit Lions are almost putting up 32 points a game as Las Vegas is 21.3. So the Raiders got to get that number up there. There's a lot of other teams behind the Raiders that are struggling with points per game. Indy is dead last at 13.3. Denver is second to last at 14.3. Hey, everybody, check out the Denver Broncos offensive stats coming into this game. 14.3 points a game. They're running it for 117. They're throwing it for 230. Uh, 348 total yards here. So for Denver... They're just not scoring points. They're not playing well in the red zone. So we have two franchises coming into this game that are both struggling with red zone offense. Nathaniel Hackett brought in as an offensive wizard from Green Bay and Josh McDaniels with six Super Bowls. So earlier today, Vinny Bonsignor, who puts out great content, uh, Vinny has the cover story at Vegas Nation at Las Vegas Review-Journal. The Raiders talk out their frustrations. And that was an interesting Headline to read, Frank team meetings proves both challenging and uplifting. The Raiders have just lost their third straight game to start of the season, fallen to the Titans. The objective, the captains decided a team meeting was immediately needed. This is according to Vinnie Bonsignor. The objective wasn't to assess blame, but to rather find answer, answers, said Derek Carr. Quote, you never want to be someone that comes into the building and creates problems, Carr said. You want to be someone that comes in and solves it. That sounds great. Tight end Darren Waller. Welcome the opportunity from the captains to ward off any bad energy. That was beginning to fester. Quote, I feel like it's definitely important not to get into any finger pointing or let any division kind of creep in. Great comment there from him also. So let's talk about the leaders here for a second. Who do you think of the leaders of this team? There's a lot of them that you don't know about. I mean, will you, uh, you know, Daniel Carlson's the leader of the team in the locker room. Good guy, highly respected. But most of us think it's Carr, Max Crosby, no doubt about it, Perryman, the middle linebacker. And then the one that everybody's waiting on is Chandler Jones. So with Chandler Jones, I'm wondering, where's the leadership? I think it's there. I was on the team playing with him. I see him talking to people. He's a leader. He's a great leader. But the problem with him is he's got boxer's legs to start the season. And that's okay. He's an older player. No one's had more sacks than Chandler Jones, no one, since 2012. The Raiders rolled the dice on him. Dave Ziegler went out and got him. They have Patriot bonds together, and he's supposed to be an impact guy, and he hasn't been able to do it. So I think this game is on Chandler Jones. I really do. Because I've seen enough of Max Crosby now to know that Max is going to show up. Max is going to be there, Max is going to make plays, and Max is going to have an impact on this game. But Chandler Jones has had a hell of a career going up against Russell Wilson. Chandler Jones, through three games, let me get this straight here, has four solo tackles, two assists. The total tackles on the year is six. Six for him. Hobbs has 24. Divine Diablo has 30. Chandler Jones has six. Uh, one tackle for a loss. Uh, obviously, we don't look at interceptions. And I can't believe the sacks. I mean, the sacks, if you were to tell me that Chandler Jones heading into week four would have no sacks. Basically, he's putting up a goose egg. And that's got to change. Also, as we're calling out guys that we want to see do well, we want to see him be better. Jonathan Hankins, another leader on this team. Jonathan Hankins so far... In the three games, who's a tackle, plays on the inside, has two solo tackles, and a total of six. A total of six, just like Chandler Jones, and he has no tackles for a loss, no sacks and no sack yards. That can't happen. Bilal Nichols, same thing. No sacks, no tackles for loss, a total of four tackles. So we're looking at the interior of, of the defensive line and one edge rusher in Chandler Jones that have to step up and play much better football. I think that's going to happen in this game. They're 0-3, fourth in the AFC West. They've been getting called out by the media all week. I think that they'll step up and play at a higher level here. But Paul Gutierrez, as I'm talking about some of our insiders that you hear on this show, wrote a pretty good column at ESPN. Very good column. Despite 0-3 start, maybe Las Vegas Raiders are primed to succeed. And he talked about what they're doing. I love the fact that he says, no, this is not an exasperated Kevin Bacon in the parade scene in Animal House, either telling the crowd to remain calm that all is well. Mark Davis held that coach's meeting with Josh McDaniels in his office for a lengthy meeting after Tennessee. I didn't make much of that. I don't make that. Mark Davis came off being with the Aces after their WNBA title. He talks to the coach after every game. But it seems like a couple of insiders were looking at their watch, wondering how long the meeting would be. But there is some glimmer of hopes for this team, as Paul Gutierrez wrote. They're the only 0-3 team in the NFL. Josh McDaniels is just 5-20 as a head coach. But some of their pieces are looking good. And as Paul said, and I've been saying on the radio, there's just too much talent on the roster. Waiting for Renfro to come back. Max Crosby, Cole, Perryman, Carlson, Carl. But again, he wrote about Chandler Jones, the potential Hall of Famer in Sackmaster Chandler Jones. So why hasn't all the talent transferred into a win or three yet? The low-hanging fruit answer from Paul is the transition period is taking longer than expected. And this is where the Vegas casino and sportsbook owners got it right. They got it right. They thought that the Raiders won too many iconic close games last year and that would change. They were right on that. And they thought with a coaching transition, it would take a while for the coaching staff and everybody and the players to come together on the same page. Remember, as Paul Gutierrez wrote for ESPN.com, the Raiders won many of those games last year by razor-thin margins. Hence, the NFL record with six walk-off wins. Wouldn't you want a walk-off win? I don't want a walk-off win on Sunday. I don't want that thing coming down to the fourth quarter. They haven't been blown out. They played pretty well. In the four great quarters that they've played, out of six, Las Vegas outscored its opponents 36-7. to On the flip side, if you combine the second half and overtime of the Cardinals game with the first half of Tennessee, the Raiders were outscored 53-13. to So it's a tale of two halves. And that's got to improve. Carr is just one of seven for 12 yards when targeting Adams for a 39.6 rating on these drives. Now they're nitpicking, rightfully so, as the Associated Press pointed out. The Raiders have been in a position to drive for a win or a tie at the end of each game. Carr is just nine for 21 passing for 112 with two fumbles, a touchdown, plus that failed two-point conversion. On those drives, he has a 75.9 passer rating. And as we said, on those drives with an opportunity to win, one for seven for 12 yards for Devontae. This is really good information by Paul Gutierrez. And as he finally pointed out, the Chargers are a mass unit. They got a whole bunch of injuries. The Broncos aren't playing well, but we'll see them on Sunday. And look, when we take a look at the division in Kansas City, how shocked were you? I was shocked that they lost to Indy. Maybe there's a couple of games on that schedule that the Raiders can win. But the Raiders haven't done themselves any favor, favors. And my 24 years with the team, I've been on some teams. Remember, Derek started off 0-10 as a quarterback. I've been hosting pre and post and been around some bad teams in the last 20-plus years I've been here. But this is one of the most disappointing starts because of all the talent on the team. And before we hear from the coach again, I just want to make this point clear as we wrap up the week. There's a saying my swim coach said in high school, and you've heard it a million times. It's always darkest before the dawn. Remember that line. It's always darkest right before the dawn. And that's where we are now. The problem is, if they lose this game, it's going to be super pitch black. They'll be 0-4 going into Kansas City, and most of the country will believe that they're going 0-5 into the bye week, sending these guys home for a week on Jets and Maseratis and Corvettes to get the hell out of here. And believe me, the media will strike all over that. Can't let this happen. This is too good of a football team, too good of an organization, too solid of a coaching staff, too great of a GM, I believe. I'm all in on this GM and his philosophy and what he's trying to do as he's trying to get this team to a different level, but it's going to come back to execution again. And they're executing at home in Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium, the first time Russell Wilson has played since his embarrassing performance in the Pro Bowl when he was running for his life, even though no one was tackling other than Max Crosby. So Wilson will be ready to go. The excitement will be there. You will be there, if not, listening on the flagship here. And hopefully everything comes together nice. Because Derek is a hell of a quarterback. Is he elite? No, he's not elite. He's not elite with these numbers. Can he play an elite game? Yeah, he can play six or seven a year. He's proven that. Now it's a 17-game season. We need one of Derek's seven or eight or nine elite games to be this one. Because we haven't seen an elite game yet. And it's not all his fault as they're trying to mix and match this offensive line. Oh, yeah, that's a positive. The offensive line played okay against Tennessee, even though Tennessee got conservative in the second half of that game. I thought the O-line did a good job. Hopefully, we're one game closer to having the final five for the offensive line going forward with this season. But the defense has got to show up, man. And think of me on that first drive. I don't want to see someone running like a deer through the forest for the Denver Broncos on that first drive running an in route over the middle of the field and no one there the safeties and the linebackers gotta secure the middle of the field get the middle of the field on lockdown and figure it out move the defense up closer make the middle of the field more vicious make someone pay pay for it coming over the middle of the field if it has a 15 yard flag because of a hard hit maybe that'll get them going But the defense has got to play ferocious. They got to be ready to go, and they got to start fast. They didn't start fast in Los Angeles on the road, and they started damn slow in Nashville. They got to start fast in this game. And before we get to the coach again, up-tempo. I'd love to see the Raiders come out of the gate up-tempo. Call two plays, run them back-to-back, get the crowd in the game. Let's get the crowd going with a couple of explosive plays. And I don't care if it's Darren Waller. Who is was featured this week on HBO Real Sports. What a great human being in the tunnels under Vegas trying to help the homeless and those addicted. What a great human being he is. Or Derek Carr, a face-based quarterback, who's doing so much in this community that you don't even know about. These guys got to step up. They got to have a big game. There's got to be a level of intensity inside a Legion. Get on your feet on third down. Don't worry about the person behind you telling you to sit down. Tell them JT said I can stand whenever I want and I'm standing on third down on defense. Enough. Enough. Excuses die. The record stands. The record's 0-3. They need a win. They need a win badly. Let's help them get it on Sunday against the Donkeys. Coming up next, the replay of my conversation with Josh McDaniels. Listen closely to what he said about a couple of things. From body language to up-tempo to what the team needs to do and how they're prepping as we continue. I'm fired up. Friday, Raider Nation Radio. JT, welcome back on a Friday here, Raider Nation Radio. Hey, next Friday, we got a lot happening here. Matter of fact, a week from Thursday, excuse me, I'm broadcasting from the Shriners Children's Hospital Open over at TPC Summerlin. What a cool event. Up on the hill there, they have catered food, beer. It's fantastic. I go every year. It's a lot of fun. It's going to be great. So please come out to that. Also, next Friday, I'll be the MC for the, uh, Simon Keith. Foundation Simon Keith's going to join me today at the Virgin Hotel for a podcast interview. But Simon is the first ever professional athlete, former UNLV soccer player, professional soccer player, to have a heart transplant. And he's had more than one, and he's a legend in this town. So it's a high honor for me to emcee that event. It's a big event, it raises a ton of money here in town. So really cool that we have the opportunity to do all this as we talk to Charles Woodson about his golf tournament. You know, part of the stuff I do out here and what I'm really proud of is helping out these charities, if I can, just with my time and by telling you about it so you could help out with a donation or coming to these events. So we got Simon Keats' event. We got the Shriners Hospital open. We got Charles Woodson's event coming up and a lot of other cool stuff happening within the Raiders here in Vegas. I wanted to go back to my conversation with Josh McDaniels yesterday before I head out to Virgin Hotels. Again, Virgin at 4 o'clock today. I thought it was an important interview that I've done with Coach because we talked about a couple of important topics that he addressed, the targets and playing up-tempo. A lot of fans reach out to me on social media, the ones who are sane, and say, hey, JT, you're always talking up-tempo. We did in this conversation here. As the coach seems calm, comfortable, yeah, he's pissed off he hasn't won. He's the head coach of an NFL team. He's a very proud man. He's got six Super Bowl rings. And he wants to win. He's got a family. We talk about his son playing high school football. He can't go to the games. He's a human being. He wants to win. And hopefully this is the first one here, and hopefully the players get it for him, and he puts the players in the right position. Here's my conversation with the coach yesterday. We welcome in head coach Josh McDaniels. Coach, before we get to Denver, we look back at Tennessee, the second half defense I want to get into. Yep. What was so positive there? They scored on their first three drives, the adjustment at halftime, and how you were able to pick up the momentum. Yeah, I thought
2: we played better early down defense, stayed out of uh, the third and shorts, which they converted some of those in the first half, uh, and were able to create some negative plays, you know, and and, uh, created some pressure and some penetration in the running game. Uh, you know, hit the quarterback a little bit, which was important. And we tried to tighten up the coverage, um, you know. And so I just think we we played better overall team defense, which gave us an opportunity to kind of make our way back into the game. And, again, it goes back to trying to play four quarters, but uh, definitely some some bright spots there in the second half. So
0: with the personnel you had tightening up that defense mm-hmm. in the second half, closing down those windows, yep. really took away the Titans passing game, and they wanted to run it and bleed some clock.
2: They did, and I, I give a lot of credit to our our corners because, you know, uh, Rock was dealing with some things, Nate was dealing with some things, so Amik went in there and played, Sam Webb, the rookie, went in there and played, so um, you know, had to have some guys step up and play, and and again, that was what was called for in terms of the way we tried to tighten the coverage up.
0: Yeah, and Matt Collins had a big game, and again, his ability to just get the targets but make the big catches and crunch time, what was that like?
2: Yeah, they double double teamed Darren and Devontae uh, a number of times, double digits, uh, clearly, in the game, and Uh, They were trying to to force the ball to to go to somebody else. Um, Derek read the coverage pretty well and and saw that. And then, you know, Mac was able to make the plays when his opportunities were presented to him. And we're going to need people to do that. You know, when you see teams trying to take away, you know, one or two of your best players with two men, um, then somebody else is isolated in single coverage. And those guys got to do damage.
0: There's been some fair and ridiculous debate about targets, and you're getting it all the time mm-hmm. at press conferences. And I want to stay with that because the theory there's only one football, so yeah. we could be talking about this all year. There's yeah. going to be someone who doesn't get the targets, but all these guys stick together and say they want to win, yep. and they do. So this target question is going to continue to come up with all these weapons. That's
2: right, and I think the biggest thing for us is we've got to keep telling the quarterback, throw it to the right guy. You know, and, right. and sometimes, you know, sometimes look at one on one doesn't mean he's wide open, but you give him an opportunity. Um, and then other times when it's double coverage or the coverage says you really can't throw it here because there's too many bodies there. Uh, then Derek has to do a good job of being disciplined and, and taking what the defense has given us. So uh, there's no shortcut to this. Mm-hmm. You know, we're getting used to how defenses are playing us. What the scouting report says before we get into the game right. is not the same as the way we're being played. And so we're now learning. We're really, you know, you kind of take the scouting report with a grain of salt now. You know, when you have players like Devontae and Darren and Hunter, you know, sometimes defenses do different things to try to to take them away. And so when they do those things, we have to adjust. You know, hopefully we can build that into our game plan. But – Uh, again, it ultimately comes back to being able to execute, and wherever the ball goes, we got to be able to come through.
0: In regards to Derek, from what you saw in the past, and now after three games, could he be better playing more up-tempo? Does he like playing with speed in practice? Is that something we could be seeing more of?
2: Yeah, Derek does a good job. Derek does a good job of a lot of things, because he sees it so well. Smart guy, veteran player, seen a lot of things, so Um, You know, tempo is something that we could certainly, you know, uh, get into a little bit more as we go forward. Um, And again, I've I've said this to our team, you know, since we put in our offense the very first day, regardless of what we choose to do, execution is is the number one thing we have to do. You know, so if you can go fast and run bad plays, it doesn't really do much for you. Uh, if you get, you know, big or small or th- run it or throw it, if you don't execute it, you're not going to go very far.
0: Quick comment on Josh flying in and playing, yeah. what he was going through and yeah. the versatility you've been seeing with him and yeah. all the running backs.
2: Yeah. Uh, proud of the effort that he gave us. Um, you know, boy, he wasn't feeling well last week. Yeah. And so uh, it's a tribute to him and how much he wanted to help us try to win the game to come in there and, and do what he had to do to get himself ready to play. Um, played more than I probably thought he was yeah. going to. Um, But that was because he was telling us, I'm okay, I can stay in here and and do some things. So, um, no, it's the kind of effort and and unselfish behavior that we've seen from a lot of our guys here. They just want to help our team win.
0: So, Denver, they're top three in almost every defensive category here. So, looking at the tape this week, what we see from their edge rushers, let's start with that and Mm -hmm. protection.
2: Yeah, Uh, it's funny because we've told our, our group here, the best thing that they've done so far is win first down. Okay. Uh, and so they don't give up hardly any yards on first and 10, which puts everybody in long yardage situations, which leads them right where they want to be. So they can go ahead and pin their ears back and rush. So, um, a big play in the game as we go through the game is going to be what we do on first and 10. Um, you know, cause they've, they're giving up 1.2 yards per play. And so that's not, you know, that's the offense is playing backwards, you know, when you're in long yardage all day. So, Um, Chubb and Gregory, uh, you know, they have, they have guys that rotate in there behind them, Patrick and Barron. I mean, they, they, they all, they're always somebody in there fresh that can come off the edge and and hurt you, uh, if you don't do it right. So, uh, that's going to be the job of the tackles, but it's also gonna be the job of the offense. You know, Mm -hmm. let's run the ball effectively. Let's stay ahead on the down and distance. Let's stay out of third and long obvious passing situations. Uh, they've had an advantage so far in the first three games. So we got to do a good job of playing complementary offense.
0: Their culture with that organization, with their defensive backs has been around for a while now. Yeah. What is that about? They really seem to draft well and prepare their defensive backs.
2: Yeah, they do a good job. Uh, You know, Sertain's a really good player. Darby, they got him in frames. I mean, and and they drafted Simmons. So this is a team that uh, is deep in the secondary. Uh, They're sticky in coverage when they play man-to-man. They do a good job of disguising what they do. They're well coached. Uh, um, so this is an entire uh, the, the entire defense is a really good unit. So like I said, we're gonna everybody's got a job to do We're gonna have to play to play well together.
0: They have a two-headed monster at running back So they come at you in waves here similar to what you're trying to do too. Yeah,
2: tackling is gonna be important mm-hmm. um, You know, you can't let them get started uh, But when but when they do when they hit, hit a crease, you know We're gonna need to get as many hats to the ball as we can both of them do a really good job of creating yards after contact um, and so we're gonna have to get into the ground. That's gonna be a really big focus for us this week. Worked hard on it yesterday. Um, but they're both very capable backs. Uh, both can catch the ball out of the backfield. Russell will throw the ball to them, no doubt about it. So. Uh, they're going to have it more than anybody else, and so we're going to need to do a good job of tackling.
0: Let's wrap it up with Russell Wilson. All your years of being in this sport, with the goat, and watching him play, going to two Super Bowls, winning one. They got off to a little bit of a rocky start. There's a lot of talk in Denver about their offense. When is it going to get going? What have you seen recently compared to the past? And what are you most concerned about coming into this one? He's.
2: They have a good group, and uh, you know, whenever you change systems, you change coaches, you change players, which they've done all three. Um, I just think it takes some time, you know, to to get acclimated to each other, to get to know one another uh, and really be in total sync uh, as you're playing offense, so especially in the passing game, but this guy is such a an elite player. Um, you know, it, and he's such a positive influence. You know, you watch him and it's 10 to 5 in the second half yeah, of the game yeah. and it doesn't look like it's 10 to 5 when you watch his body language. You know, he's always upbeat, uh, he's leading He's talking positively to his group, and then he knows that he's been there before, and he's made those plays down the stretch. And uh, just like he's done his entire career, the more critical the situation, the more he's going to have the ball in his hands, the more willing he will to to ex- to be to extend plays, to run, to use his legs to create first downs, which he did the other day. Um, he's just, you know, they've been behind in the fourth quarter in every game, yeah. won two of them and could have won the other one. So, uh, you know, we're going to have to play a full 60 minutes for sure against Russell. Good luck on Sunday, Coach. Thanks a lot.
0: So, again, I think Josh McDaniels is a damn good guy. And Raider fans should treat him that way. Treat him that way. He's going through a rough road. So are you as a fan. He's three games in. They have a plan. They got to get wins. I don't sugarcoat losing, man. You heard this show this week. It's been intense. Off the hook. We talked to so many fans who had the right to come in and blast off, and you did that. But showing respect to the head coach is really important to me, especially when we're on the radio. JT, wow, what a week. Thanks for listening. We appreciate everybody who listens to the show. All of our partners, and we have a lot of them here, really impressed with who we have. I want to just single out Resorts World, because Resorts World, the biggest, most expensive, luxury property in the history of Vegas, is for locals. Just head on out to Doghouse Saloon for Monday Night Football. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. And meet me at the Torch Sunday. If I don't see at Virgin later today, I'll be at the Torch with Eric Allen. Sunday, eleven fifteen, as the Raiders are set to take on the Denver Broncos. Have a great weekend, everybody. And thanks for listening to the flagship of the Silver and Black, Raider Nation Radio. Hey!